Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 5 of the Scene From Above podcast. I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. And we are your hosts for a show that aims to bring you an informal discussion about the cool things happening around the world of Earth observation at the moment. You can reach us via the podcast webpage, seenfromabove.org, where you'll also find the podcast archive and show notes. Follow the show on Twitter via at EOSeenFrom and using the hashtag SeenFromAbove. This episode, we'll be discussing security and privacy issues in this age of increased EO data collection. I'm not going to talk about launches this time, but I'm going to talk about collisions. Oh. The ESA satellite, the Aeolus satellite, was only fairly recently launched. Yeah, 2018. I think we probably mentioned it at the time. They had to perform a collision avoidance manoeuvre half an orbit before a potential collision with the SpaceX's Starlink satellites, I think it is. There's like a constellation they stuck up. This is the internet ones, yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is interesting because ESA, the European Space Agency, are moving their satellite to adjust to not hit one of the Starlink satellites. And obviously, ESA want to protect this very expensive, highly important scientific instrument. And maybe SpaceX's Starlink satellites, well, they're certainly not as valuable, are they, um, to make? So maybe they have sort of smaller tolerances. And maybe someone did the maths and just said, we know we've got more to lose, so we're going to move. Yeah, I saw something on Twitter that was a sort of unofficial account of what happened. From what this person was saying on Twitter, it seemed that SpaceX weren't responding to ESA's requests for the Starlink to be moved. And so you're right, it must have just been a case of self-preservation from ESA. I mean, they've got much more to lose in terms of losing that scientific satellite be interesting to know what the odds of a collision need to be in order for an organization to go to the effort of moving their spacecraft i I did see a number and i'm trying to remember what it was okay oh here we go yes the probability the threshold ESA's threshold for conducting an avoidance maneuver is a collision probability of more than one in ten thousand it was reached for the first time on thursday evening wow okay so yeah, not launches this week, but it's something that I think we're just going to keep talking about as long as we do this podcast, which is collisions. Yeah, I think it's interesting that ESA also were public about the fact that they made that move. Would other organisations be as open and public about it? And on the flip side, is it a political sort of statement that they're trying to put and saying, well, we had to move because of SpaceX? These are all interesting points, aren't they? Well, shall we crack on with the news on, what is this, Wednesday the 4th of September 2019? Since we last spoke, so many things have happened, and we can't really do it justice. And the first thing was that Landsat 9 and Landsat 10 update um, came out from the USGS, and it's quite exciting for Landsat 10 fans, or the Landsat (laughs) series fans. Landsat 10 may be known as Landsat Next. This announcement's quite interesting, it's kind of... It seems to be trying to marry closer to what the Sentinel-2 sensors are doing, hitting a 10-metre spatial resolution for the visible data. Okay. And yeah, just this continuation of this amazing series. That's brilliant news. Like you say, it's always good to see that Landsat is still in the minds of people to be continued. I think I'm right in saying it's the longest archive of data that we have from Earth observation, and therefore 
being able to carry that on, even if there are evolutionary changes in the way that it's collecting those data in terms of maybe the bands or the return time or the spatial resolution. Great news for all Landsat users. So one of the things that I would like to quickly talk about is something that I came across on the Bloomberg site. And basically it is something that has come out of a research project uh, looking at the amount of rooftop area that is available in Europe, trying to work out how much more electricity could be generated by rooftop solar. And it turns out that there's an area three times the size of Luxembourg that could economically supply almost a quarter of the European bloc's power requirements. And this is all based on a, an academic paper. I think as well with all this sort of climate emergency type stuff, it's a timely reminder of how quickly satellite imagery can be utilized to try and, and work out the answer to these types of problems. And I know there are commercial companies around as well who do very similar things, but this is sort of just trying to work out rough area of rooftops. So just some quick stats, there's uh, nearly 8,000 square kilometers of rooftops that could produce nearly 681,000 gigawatts gigawatt hours of electricity a year. And because cost of installing solar panels has fallen loads, it's a, it's a quite attractive option in terms of trying to get people to change the way that they use their energy and to install these solar panels. Have you looked at the academic paper associated to the Bloomberg report? I did very briefly sk skip through it, but I've not read it in any detail. I think, oh, that's interesting. I wonder how they did that. They've used the current data set. So this is a really generalized view, looking at 100 meter pixels. Yeah, that's Kareem. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? So that can't be on a building by building basis. That's on a building density basis. This isn't me pulling apart what you've just said, by the way. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. Firstly, these Bloomberg reports are very good at sort of giving you a very quick snapshot. And I, I'm thankful for them to, to do that. And I'm always interested to sort of dig deeper. And instantly I thought, oh, they've probably th thrown in um, a very high resolution data set and looked at aspect of roofs. Yeah, that's what I was assuming. It feels like it might be a bit of an underestimate to me. Yeah, this is interesting that they've used. I can understand why they've used that. It's a standardized data set across the whole of Europe. But at the same time, it doesn't quite give them, I wouldn't have thought, what they're actually looking for. And there are companies who are trying to do this on a, a street by street or a house by house, building by building level. When you look at a kind of countrywide or in this case, a continent wide scale, I think that you're very correct in saying, you know, the data set being, what was your word, consistent? Uh, standardized. Standardized, sorry, yeah. I, I think that that is of high value. But I often think these sort of more generalized looks from standardized and coarser data sets only give a glimpse at the reality. Hmm. Okay, I'm glad you pointed that out. The way it's written in the Bloomberg piece suggests that it's satellite data that's been the most important component of the analysis. But actually, although you wouldn't have the Korean land cover map without the input of satellite data, this analysis hasn't been done directly on satellite data. I think the biggest thing that I've seen this summer and it, it's strange to call it the biggest thing because I can't touch it or see it or interact with it, but it's the announcement of Planet Analytics being out of beta. Um, I didn't even know it was in beta. 
this is their kind of mission too, I think, to produce a Google of the world or a sort of Wikipedia of the world kind of thing that we've spoken about before. And the instant reaction that I saw was from GIS type people saying, oh, right, okay, you're not just an image. It's not just pixels. Yeah, on-demand analytics at a global scale. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? And I'm interested to know how the uptake goes, who the customer is. And I'm really interested to see a sort of demo of it. That would be fantastic. So one of the things that I, I think is really useful about this is probably the building detection. They've got an example in Cairo, and you can do a slider from one side to the other. And that's really neat. I can definitely see that being important. And I think they even managed to get to pull out some of the unstructured buildings that are in there, as well as all of the sort of nicely individual buildings in some of the more sort of structured and planned areas. There's a limited market for pixels. As we've always said, the real win is to tie it to information. You know, the customer base suddenly starts becoming a lot bigger. Um, I'm just going to quickly mention this one. It popped up on my Twitter feed in the context of Living Wales. So the first thing that I want to mention is the devolved Welsh government have created an act called the Wellbeing of Future Generations Wales Act back in 2015. And I suppose not living in Wales, I hadn't been aware of this at all. Basically, the act provides the ambition, permission and legal obligation to, to improve our social, cultural, environmental and economic well-being. And what this means is that when public bodies in Wales are doing something that is relatively impactful, they need to think about what the long term impact of those decisions might be, i.e. what the impact will be on future generations. And then on my Twitter feed came a couple of tweets about a presentation that was being given about something called Living Wales, which is trying to use Earth observation data to capture the state and dynamics of Wales's landscape, because um, Wales has a, a pretty diverse landscape. There's a lot of benefit that can be had from using satellite data to try and look into the, the aspects of landscape change. So I went onto their website and one of the tabs I was looking at was remote sensing algorithms. And if you go into that, there's all sorts of different sort of little blogs about different types of algorithms. The point of this project, as far as I can tell, is to keep an eye on what's happening with Welsh landscape and link it in with this Protection of the Future Generations Act as well. So I thought that whole thing was quite nice. So that is enough news for now. <laughs> We're going to discuss the topic of privacy uh, with satellite data. And this has been one on the list for quite some time. Interestingly, an event happened within the last week or so that has brought privacy again straight into the public domain regarding satellite data. What are we talking about with privacy? We're talking about one meter and less pixel resolution. So not the free sensors of the Landsat and the Sentinels, but more the commercial satellites that, that are available. Um, there's also other non-commercial satellites that are flying, capturing images significantly less than one meter. I think it's always easy to sensationalize about privacy, I think, to sort of give some context. Quick bird. 2001 submeter, so it was acquiring images at a 0.6 meter pixel. So we're almost looking at 20 years ago. Worldview 2, which is still operating today, is capturing at a 46 centimeter pixel, and that was launched in 2009, so 10 years ago. 
and Worldview 3, which is the state-of-the-art commercial satellite, that was launched in 2014, so five years ago, and that's been acquiring data at 0.31 metres. So this, this level of sub-metre pixel is not new, and there's plenty of players in the market now. I kind of think we have to say now that there are more satellites being launched and that therefore there is the greater chance of more parts of the world being imaged. In terms of the satellite systems that you've just mentioned, those are just the commercial ones that we know about. But yeah, it's it's interesting because there's also then all of the systems that we don't know about that governments want to, you know, they, they might put up that they just don't tell us about. I thought there was some issue around some of the commercial systems as well, that they actually can collect at much better resolution than they actually get sold for in the end. If we just sort of talk about commercial satellites today, because we don't know what other non-commercial satellites are up there. Yeah. My gut feeling is the media, which informs the public, do not help with this at all. I think that this all adds to give the general public a grossly overestimated um, opinion of how often and how clearly as well, I think that's all quite key, places on the earth are imaged. Sometimes you're lucky if you get a sub one metre image once a month and some areas are just not not imaged. So they often take or acquire data depending on where um, people are most likely to to buy the data. If you are concerned about this stuff, I would say two things. One, can you imagine the cost if there is a very high military grade spy satellite watching you or us, shall we say? It would be enormous. (laughs) And two, I think you would notice other things happening. Wouldn't you see people following you suspiciously or cars parked over the... I mean, I'm sure they would be a bit more covert, but we've kind of got used to street view. And when that came about, everyone was sort of up in arms about it and then they blurred out the faces and were less upset about that. I think, and it, it might have changed, but I think the UK is the most imaged country in terms of CCTV. And the population tends to be okay with that. I mean, to be honest, I don't think we as a society really thought about it before it happened and we sort of just sort of sleepwalked into a a society that has all this this camera coverage all over the place. But in general, it seems to work in reasonably fair ways. I mean, it's quite interesting that today, as we're speaking, there's been a ruling made in favour of South Wales police who were being taken to court by someone who said it was against his civil rights to have had face recognition software run through this type of CCTV imagery. So now there is a legal precedent that using facial recognition is fine in certain circumstances on this type of technology. I certainly can understand some of the concerns around the police being able to do this facial recognition in real time using CCTV imagery. But one of the points that I was thinking of is, well, will the general population of individuals care that much if they are imaged from space? And will they even know that they're being imaged from space? In order for you to get up in arms about an invasion of your privacy, you have to know that your privacy has been invaded. Uh, If you stop and think about it, invading an individual's privacy by taking information about their home or potentially about where they are and what they're doing using space data is a gross infringement of civil liberty. So yeah, I think it's a good and timely point to have this discussion. 
up until this point, certainly with some of the terrestrial-based imaging systems, there have been national and EU laws to protect the individual. Potentially going forward, we in the UK aren't going to be protected by those EU laws. So then we're totally beholden to our national government, which, you know, there's all sorts of issues there about whether we, we trust the national government to do what's in the interest of the individual. People know that satellites exist and people know that they're flying, acquiring data. And I think it falls on our shoulders as an Earth observation community to call out erroneous claims regarding satellites to start with and be realistic about them and say, you know, we can't see through cloud. We're governed by the constraints of the sensor and where it is, even a spy satellite. But when I was looking down, I think it was through a Reddit group, some of the comments you get are almost panicky. It's like, well, you know, have you seen what eyesight are doing? They can see through clouds and it's and it's one meter pixel. You know, scary stuff. Whereas, whereas is that scary stuff? Even if eyesight, for example, were managing to image at what would be a crazy resolution, 10 centimeters, let's say they were picking up people in a city, you would be anonymous, wouldn't you? Unless they could tie it to other data i'm gonna jump in here it's not directly related to what we we've said we're going to talk about which is the commercial satellites but it addresses that point i think really well so i'm going to put a link in the show notes to a youtube video that explains something called the argus system that was developed by bae systems and this youtube video was posted in 2013 so the argus system was something that they call a wide-angle persistent stair system. And it was a huge drone that can fly around in a circle and it generates a huge image, very, very high resolution. And I really encourage people to watch this. So this is it's fascinating from a technology perspective. And you think if that was declassified and then they've made the program and then they put it on YouTube in 2013, imagine what people can do now with the technology. This is a system that is able to monitor effectively a small town in more or less real time. It can track individuals walking around. It can see birds flying around. The demonstration system that they have in the video also can track cars. And as they go into a tunnel, the cars obviously disappear from the video that's being streamed from this drone. But then the automatic tracker software picks up that vehicle as it comes out of the tunnel at the other side and it knows it's the same one it's labeled with the same uh, label that it was when it went in so there is the potential so that proves to us that the systems do exist they might not be commercial systems and they might not be space systems but there are systems that will infringe on your personal liberty and will allow you to be tracked in real time we know from edward snowden that the big organizations can and will harvest data so I'm not really sure where I'm going with this. My point is that our privacy can and probably is being broken in many other ways. And so I'm wondering whether an Earth observation-based privacy issue is is really the most important. I think privacy is a really interesting discussion. It's far bigger than the sort of area that we're talking about. I personally feel more concerned about the information that we readily give away on social media and online, because that's easily harvested. Going back to satellites, I think part of it is the unknown. You don't know that there's one up there. Am I being watched all the time? I think anybody thinking that you could identify what 
book you were reading in the garden from a satellite, even a spy satellite, I think would be very unlikely. I don't think the physics is on the side of that. I think there's too much atmospheric impact. Just wait until we've colonised Mars, then we'll be in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There are probably apps available that you and me may find useful for our job that other people may find useful for protecting themselves against getting imaged. So an app that said this high resolution satellite is flying above us now um, may inform someone to quickly go indoors. Um, I don't feel worried about this stuff. Generally, at the level of the individual, A, there's very little that we can do but also be generally the way that the physics works at the moment and the resolutions that certainly from commercial satellite, there's probably very little risk. Your privacy is being broken, but there's probably very little risk in terms of that. But what if apps that were developed or or processing workflows that were developed for one reason, so it might be that you're a farmer and you're interested in I don't know, how much water your crop gets or whatever. Could you use that app to, instead of look at your fields, look at your neighbor's fields, assess they've got more health than yours possibly because there's more water going to them, and then go out and sort of surreptitiously try and divert water to to outcompete your (laughs) neighbor? It's sort of like the, the Jean de Florette of the modern age. You have the potential now to get quantitative differences between different fields. Is it your right to be looking at the quantification of the potential of their crop? Are you breaking their privacy by doing that? I'm not, I'm not really sure. I don't, I don't think I have an answer. And I, again, I'm not really sure if it matters. Um, I, I think it would be a little bit remiss not to mention the, the US president tweeting satellite intelligent pictures uh, that happened at the weekend. And there's a really interesting um, blog post that got put up that pulls it apart and works out what and where and what this thing is that took this image um, and we'll share that but the interesting thing I think for us in the discussion is there's a comparison between this US government image that's been tweeted and uh, a commercial satellite and the, the, you know, the quality of the image is quite telling shall we say I'm trying to be really careful what I say <laughs> domain and it's been issued by the President of the United States so uh, the image has been declassified. So has it? Okay. Yeah, so we can. <laughs> See, I'm worried about you know someone knocking on my door. The general feeling that I got from the reactions were this is not a clever thing to do <laughs> to, to tweet this. People are less worried about privacy, but more on why it's been issued. The fact that this blog post has so much information about the orbit and various other parameters and things. I mean, I guess that the Iranian government knew that this thing existed and that it went over and that it was likely to be taking an, an image of the uh, rocket site. But it's a bit of a faux pas to have made it so obviously public, I think. Mm. We each have our own idea of privacy, but in terms of Earth observation, I think that when we see sensationalist news articles, we should be saying this isn't really something you need to worry about and this is why. Yeah. But I think we can caveat that and say yet. It would be really interesting, actually, to get other people's input, maybe through Twitter or by emailing us, because obviously you and I come at this from a a very specific angle, and others will come at it from other angles, and it's always useful to to broaden out the debate a bit. Privacy is obviously a contentious but very important issue. 
from a computing point of view, I am very conscious of my privacy. I have made a conscious decision to use as much non-tracking software as possible. I'm highly conscious of the fact that my phone can be tracked, but I take off as many of the tracking options as I can without the phone becoming a brick. And I'm not even sure why I do it. I just feel there's this innate privacy that I should have that my parents had. So I come at this from a perspective of being someone who is aware of their personal privacy. And so you would think that my obvious stand on this would be, okay, well, we shouldn't have these high resolution satellites going up and taking this imagery because that breaks our privacy. But I just don't see it as being that much of a problem. But that doesn't mean that it won't become a problem or couldn't be a problem, because really the issue of privacy and high resolution satellite data doesn't rest with the fact that it's being collected. It's how it's being used. Throughout the entire conversation, I've been torn about whether I should be saying down with the high resolution satellites or (laughs) privacy, who cares? (laughs) Yeah, I don't feel worried about satellites. I am much more concerned with online security and the sharing of information. I personally distrust companies that we give our data to willingly. Okay, just to wrap up, if you have any requests for new segments, topics for us to discuss, or guests you'd like to hear from, then we encourage you to drop us a line through Twitter using at EOSeenFrom or our personal accounts at AJGJogger and at Matt underscore Andrew. Please do get in touch and help us build a vibrant community around the podcast. Thanks for listening, and that's it for now. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Alistair. Goodbye. No, seriously. It's everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere. And this stuff is sticky. Podcast music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.